just what is a spiritual awakening anyways. Uh, Tanya, can I please have you read the 12 steps? Sure. Oh, let me change my... Hi, Tanya G. Just like Tanya G. Uh, Compulsive overeater. Here are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, or to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever wherever possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge for his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tanya. And Sharon, May, would you please read the 12 traditions? Sure. My name is May. I'm a compulsive overeater from Queens, Hi, New York. The 12 traditions. First, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. 
Terrific. Thank you so much, May. Okay, according to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive readers. I'm sorry, compulsive eaters. Uh, our meeting expenses are a large meeting Zoom subscription. Actually, we have changed that, so let me get that out of the script. Um, our expenses are a Zoom subscription and uh, with the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, which is info at oarise.org. There's also a contribute now button at oarise.org and a suggested donation of $3 will allow these OA Rise speaker meetings to continue. And at the end of the first hour, we'll show everybody how they can do that if they choose to. Okay, it is now my great pleasure to introduce our speakers for today, which is Denise, Maureen, and Megan. Uh, I would like to uh, just say that um, Denise was at my very first meeting, which was over 27 years ago. So I have known her for a very long time, and I'm just thrilled that she's here with us. And uh, Maureen and Megan, I have known uh, Maureen almost as long, if not as long, and Megan for many, many years as well. So I'm just thrilled that these three ladies who inspire me all the time and many other members are here to share with us today. So, Denise, I'm going to hand it over to you. And, uh, yeah, I hope we have a great meeting. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Sherry. I'm a compulsive eater. My name is Denise, and I'm very grateful to be here. I'm grateful for my recovery and also very grateful to my sisters in recovery, Megan and Maureen, for sharing this day with me. Uh, we had a preparatory meeting this morning. Um, a week ago, we got together on Zoom to talk about what it was we wanted to share. The topic I had chosen was, what is a spiritual awakening anyway? And when I chose that, I had some ideas in mind but I wasn't attached to what it looked like. So last weekend, we had this Zoom meeting, and what I hoped would happen is exactly what happened. And that is, I brought forward my ideas, and they brought forward theirs, and together we came up with something that, well, with something that we really felt excited about. Okay, that was a week ago. When I woke up this morning, that is not how I felt. I felt nervous. I felt uncomfortable. I felt like I didn't have any, nothing I had to share was worthwhile. This is not unfamiliar. This is very familiar. I felt it before. Perhaps you've felt it too. And thank goodness we had the wherewithal to plan to have a little check-in meeting this morning. So this morning, the three of us got together and we had our own little meeting. And any time two members are together, that is a meeting. If their purpose is to recover using the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. So thank you for that. Just personally to both of you, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for receiving and witnessing how I felt. Right now, my heart's beating a little stronger, or at least I can feel that. And uh, that doesn't freak me out. Uh, it, it excites me. I'm really excited to share how Overeaters Anonymous has transformed my life. So what's that going to look like? What's the plan? Uh, it may or may not work out to like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, but there will be three sessions, sections. So the first section, um, well, those of you who've been around for a while, you'll know this 
sort of short form, uh, I don't know where it came from, but one way of describing the 12 steps is trust God, clean house, help others. So the first section where each of us are going to share a little bit about the first three steps, trust God. In the second section, we'll share about the action steps, steps four through nine, which is clean house. And then the last section we'll share about help others, which is the final three steps, 10, 11, and 12. So uh, I wanted to introduce the, the topic, what is a spiritual awakening anyway? That'll be uh, what we keep coming back to. And after we'd had this planning session or as part of it, we made a decision that we wanted to do something different when it came to receiving your input. Well, actually, in sharing the experience. So I know I could just talk and talk and talk and talk. And I didn't want it to be all about us talking. And I also, I was hopeful that we could leave a legacy behind, knowing that the recording will be on the OA Rise site available afterwards. So here's, it's an experiment. Maybe it'll work well, maybe it won't, we'll find out, right? More will be revealed. Here's what we're gonna do. Because we're sharing about our spiritual awakenings, and we know that everyone here has spiritual awakenings they've experienced that are mind-blowing, remarkable, small, big, in between, all shapes and sizes. The spiritual experience is diverse here. As the big book says, uh, it's roomy and all-inclusive. So at any point during this afternoon, we, what we'd like is for you to send in the chat to Connie. Connie is our designated uh, receiver of sharing. We want your stories of spiritual awakening. They can be a sentence. They can be keep typing if you want. Uh, they can be uh, as detailed or as simple as you wish. And then at the end of this session, uh, what we'll be able to do is I'll actually be taking that chunk of information, taking out everybody's names, so it will remain anonymous. And then that's the document that's going to be posted alongside this recording. So anyone who comes will be able to, and to listen to it after, will be able to listen to our sharing and then hear the voices of anyone and everyone here who would like to participate. And um, I don't know, it just kind of gives me goosebumps because when I hear your spiritual awakening, I'm, I'm blown away. So I look forward to reading them as well. Now, what that means is we did decide uh, not to include a question and answer period. We don't want to shut that off entirely. If you have questions that are just burning and, and must be asked, uh, you know, as always, you can send those to the host or the co-hosts. But please, we really would love it if you would send your spiritual awakenings experiences uh, in writing through chat to Connie. And uh, yeah, you will be part of the legacy that's left behind. Okay, I'm aware that we are about 20 after one. So we only have, we have a shorter amount of time for the first section, but that's okay. Um, and I know Megan and Maureen each have a little bit uh, special thing that they're going to share at the beginning as introduction. And I'll just finish my introduction with a brief qualification. I came to 
Oh, let me take a breath. I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1991. And I came through the doors of another fellowship. I had received some, a little bit of freedom from my self-hatred and self-obsession through beginning the process of a 12-step way of life. But I had also gone headfirst back into the food and the obsession with my body. I have never left Overeaters Anonymous, but I have not been abstinent that whole time. I've had periods of abstinence of, well, I guess this period is the longest right now. My top weight is uh, about 40 pounds heavier than I am now. My lightest is about 30 pounds lighter. And it was just about four and a half years ago that I hit that top weight. So for anyone here who didn't get it when they first got here, I know what that's like. Anyone here who has hit their top weight in program, I know what that's like. And I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad you haven't given up because I am so grateful I have, I didn't give up. Because four and a half years ago, I did a deeper surrender. I just wasn't ready, I guess, until then. I don't know, whatever. I turned my will and my life over in a way that I hadn't before. And since then, I have eaten three meals a day, snack if necessary. I don't eat foods uh, that are I guess you'd call them recreational. I don't eat cakes and cookies and candies, crap, essentially. <laughs> and, uh, and I live with a peace and a serenity uh, in my heart, my mind, and body that I've never had before. So I want to now invite uh, Megan to share her qualification and a little thing about uh, from the big book. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Hi, friends. I'm Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater and food addict. Um, And I am feeling it today. Um, uh, Thank you so much, Denise, and all of those who are doing service on this rise. It's just so cool that this exists. And seeing where everybody is from is just like warming my little global village tribe heart because I've always been all about the global village. And uh, now that Zoom's a thing, it's just the best. Um, All right, I'll qualify a little bit here just to start with. So yeah, I'm Megan. Um, I'm grieving today. I'm so there's just there's a lot of feeling coming out, but it's coming out because I'm not stuffing it with food. So that is a miracle i'm I'm gonna swear too <laughs> i just didn't swear myself there but just language warming i i swear i'm a swearer um i came into this program 15 years ago um and uh it was in london actually london uk i was at musical theater school there and i was um uh aware that there was a food problem because you know i've had this problem my entire life and I would try and diet and it 
I was never a good restrictor. There was one period in high school where I did restrict and then it, you know, just kind of fell apart. And then by university, I was, um, <laughs> I was just like way steep in the food and gained everything back, um, quite quickly. And, uh, um, also exercise bulimia is a big part of my story. Um, and I did geographical therapy, moved to London, England, thought, well, I'm finally doing this thing that God's called me to do in the world and living my passion and, um, being the, uh, being the creative God would always have me be, which is still true to this day. But I also thought that if I was finally being acknowledging the creative part that I'd been pushing aside and been scared of pursuing for many years, that that would also mean that my disease would go away. Um, fun fact, that is untrue. <laughs> At least that was for me. And uh, uh, it alarmingly, surprisingly, even got worse. Who knew an eating disorder would get worse in the entertainment industry when you're doing it professionally full time? Who would have thunk? Um, and uh, yeah, and so I heard about um, the program while I was abroad at school and uh, heard when there's one for food. Um, but my story is also, you know, I, I really relate to what was just shared um, in that my story is also like, uh, I, I did leave, I did leave program, actually. Um, I came in 15 years ago, I was in program for about three months, maybe six months tops, um, actually got hit by a car, which I'll, I'll share a little bit more about later, um, and, uh, and then left program. And I left for about six years and then came back on my hands and knees um, because the food was so bad. I was um, uh, like in bed binging, even though all my dreams had come true um, and was like, well, how is this happening? So, uh, and then in this program, I've also never really fully left, but I was aware that my program grows and I'll share more about this later too, but the program grows according to the rate that I'm able to grow at, God will meet me where I'm at. And so even though I never fully, fully left, there were times um, when I needed to focus on other uh, aspects of my recovery and the food just had to be the thing that I used to keep me alive, even though I was in it. Um, I was at least conscious that that's what I was doing, which is progress. Um, and then that leads me to about three uh, three years and 10 months or so, something like that, almost four years ago when I re-entered and I just knew like, uh, like, um, it is time. I just knew it was time. And, uh, I was ready to put down, um, the big sugar. I was ready to just listen to, uh, I wanted a sponsor who had, um, more structure. I, I just needed more structure on my food and I was ready so that led me to my abstinence of about uh, four years ago and um, three years, 10 months, and just a little bit of qualification because I know the numbers may help somebody um, who's new. Uh, I've gone from like a size 14, size 16, um, just over 200 pounds, I think was my heaviest. That really scared me because I would always like approach and then back off and then approach and then back off. Um to I, I I honestly don't even know what I weigh now. I think in the fall I was about like one sixty seven, 
but I'm about like a size six, size eight. Um, and that has not changed. So I've, I've lost, so I was like a size 14, 16. So however many sizes that is. Um, and, um, uh, yeah. And so, and my abstinence is I have three meals a day with one optional snack. Uh, I weigh and measure sometimes, but I'm also aware that I, I need flexibility. I just have a brain that just loves that. And so, um, I go to really structuring weigh and measuring if I'm really in pain and really like insane around the food. Um, and then when I have a little more freedom in my brain to play more, I will, but I bookend my food. Um, to the best of my ability before and after. Um, I do an annual set of steps every year. I call my sponsor one a week, once a week. Um, and, uh, and that's that. And then just to share that little bit about the big book. So since we're going to be talking about spiritual um, awakenings today, um, to those of you who are familiar, there's an appendix two in the big book called spiritual, uh, experience. And what they discovered, um, after the first printing of the big book was that they were giving the, um, impression that a spiritual awakening also needs to be a spiritual experience. And this may not be everybody's view. This is my personal view, but um, this is what makes sense to me that there's a spiritual experience is different than a spiritual awakening and a spiritual experience is a feeling, you know, and I'm an addict. I, I'm going to chase that feeling, you know, um, a spiritual experience is like a come to God down on your knees, you know, thunderclaps, skies part, all of that. Um, but that may happen for some and that may be permanent for some, but that is also not my story. I've had plenty of spiritual experiences outside of program and spiritual awakenings, um, were something different. So, uh, yeah, in the spiritual, uh, experience appendix two, essentially what is said is that, uh, it, it, it spiritually awakening will meet you where you're at, essentially, that it, it can be slow. It can be um, what the psychologist William James called the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Um, quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. But you'll recognize they say in that big book, it's a few months, you know, which to an addict can feel like a fucking lifetime. So things feel slow. Um, anyway, I think that is what I will share for that. Um, so I will shut the fuck up. Thank you. Over to you, Maureen. Thanks, Megan. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad that somebody else is taking care of the technology and the organization. Thank you so much, Sherry, and your team. And it's so lovely to be able to just say my part and know that everything else is being taken care of. Uh, I'm Maureen, I'm a compulsive eater, and before I qualify, I'm going to pick 
um, some definitions out of the dictionary for awakening, just so that we are setting the, the tone for what, what I'm going to, going to be talking about. Awakening can be a noun, the act of waking up from sleep, an act of becoming suddenly aware of something, a realization or recognition of something, a revival of interest or attention. Or it can be a verb, coming into existence or awareness. And step 12, specifically, I'm just going to get my screen sorted out here. Um, Step 12 specifically references a spiritual awakening, so I'm going to read that. And this is from the OA 12 by 12, uh, second edition. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. When I read step 12 this time, I was particularly struck by the fact that we tried to carry the message So that's my part. I can make the effort to do that. And the words, this message. And when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, this message is the spiritual message. That the 12 steps will create a spiritual awakening. And my part is also to practice these principles in all my affairs. That's carrying the message as well as talking about it. So to qualify about my experience in OA, oops, um, I came in in 1987. I was 34 years old, so I'm 68 years old now. And that, that is uh, quite a span of developmental stages. So where I was at emotionally and spiritually at 34 is very different than where I'm at at 68. And I know that Some of that is just because of what happens to you as you experience more in the world. But I don't think the, I don't think, I know the way my life is right now would not be the way it is had I not had the 12 steps throughout that span of the decades. When I came into OA, I was about, I'd say 40 pounds more, um, or 40 pounds overweight, according to my doctor. And I had dieted since I was probably in my mid-teens. I tried many, many different kinds of diets. I had gained and lost 10 and 20 and 30 pounds over and over and over again. And I hit a point where I couldn't do it again, but I didn't know what else to do. I was overweight again. None of my clothes fit again. I felt horrible about myself again, only this time I could not diet. And I thought, if this is the way my life is going to be, I don't want to be here because this is horrible. I hated myself. I was an emotional, not a wreck, but I was up and down. And I just felt totally crazy and out of control. And I felt powerless and... I wouldn't have used that word at that time, but that's how I felt. 
Um, I came into OA, uh, various, I won't go into a lot of detail. If anybody wants the specifics, they can email me and ask. But I, I ended up in OA. I was desperate. I had a feeling that I was an addict when it came to food because when I heard someone describe what addiction was, what that cycle was, I thought, yep, that's what I do with food. I get the cravings, I swear off that I'm not going to do it, and five minutes later, I'm eating what I said I wasn't going to eat. And I felt totally out of control, and I spiraled, and I got high from losing weight. I would get, um, yeah, I would get high for the whole time I was losing weight, and then when I stopped the diet, I reached the whatever the magical goal weight was at that time, I would immediately start overeating again and the self-loathing would start up again and that sense of hopelessness and helplessness and powerlessness. So I was in program. I worked it as hard as I could. I did everything. I did the steps. I did. Um, I used all the tools. I had a sponsor. I lost the 40 pounds and I kept it off for about 14 years and I was uh, about the same weight for that whole time. And I stayed in program the whole time. And then very slowly, I started to gain the weight again. My thinking started to change. I started to rationalize uh, eating between meals. I would rationalize my food choices. I kind of went numb when it came to all of the clear thinking that I had about what my action plan had to be and what my food plan had to be to stay abstinent. So I gained the weight back um, and I reached a point where I knew that there was something missing because I hadn't left program. I hadn't, I'd stopped going to meetings as often but I still was in contact with program people. Um, I prayed, um, but clearly something was wrong. You know, I had gained my weight back and I was feeling miserable again. So I, uh, I was finding the meetings, person to person meetings really stressful. And so I decided that I would try online meetings and I started going to online meetings and I found a sponsor who had a very spiritual program and I knew that was the part that was missing for me and I didn't know quite how to get into it more um, but I knew I needed some guidance from somebody who had that part of the program working for them. She's still my sponsor and that was eight years ago that I found her and through, through this time of abstinence and during the time that I was abstinent before, I have always emailed my food daily to a sponsor. Uh, my sponsor lives in Pennsylvania and I'm in um, Vancouver in Canada, so I can't see her. I did meet her in New York one time, which was very cool, but uh, we talk on the phone once a week. We have a scheduled meeting I email her every day. I have two other OA people that I talk to uh, um, on the phone and we work through literature twice a week or two people one time. So I've got three shots of program a week. 
Um, okay, I, I made a little quote here at the end of my qualifying. I, I have notes. I come from an educational background, so I have notes. When I came to OA, I wanted freedom from that dieting roller coaster and the emotions that went with it. I wanted a stable, healthy weight, and I didn't want to hate myself. And I got so much more. So that's my qualification. Over to you, Denise. Lovely. Thank you so much, each of you. I'm a compulsive eater. My name is Denise. And if you've just joined us, what is a spiritual awakening anyway? We have, it's about 20 to 2. Uh, so we're going to take, Janice, if you would be so kind as to give me five minutes and let me know when the five minutes is up, and then five minutes for Megan and Maureen after that. We're going to share about that first three steps. Uh, steps one, two, and three, uh, short form I referred to before was trust God. So I was really not interested in trusting God when I got to Overeaters Anonymous. But as has been shared, I was, I was at the end of my rope. I, my weight had fluctuated for years. I would think I had control over it. And I never did. I started dieting when I was in elementary school. And I was still dieting when I got here. I was 26 years old. So when I, when I got here, I had, just before I got to Overeaters Anonymous, I had had a very sudden uh, increase in weight. I'd put down another, some other substances, and I had immediately switched addictions onto food. Here's what I remember about admitting my powerlessness. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. I honestly didn't think my life was unmanageable. I just thought I hadn't found the right diet yet. I thought that I could still manage. Like it says in the big book, if only I could manage well. The fact is that I have never managed my life well. If the job was posted, manager of Denise's life, and I applied, I would not be given an interview. <laughs> the way I found that out, I know I'm being kind of flippant, but the way I found that out is through working the steps. I'm so grateful that when I came in, I, well, I saw and heard you talk about food and how you felt about yourself and your body the same way I did. You had eaten out of the garbage like I did. You'd eaten off of the floor. You'd stolen food. You'd stolen money. You'd uh, desperately tried to hide from others. And the thing probably that I could relate to the most, and it was a spiritual thing, but I wouldn't have called it at the time, was I felt desperately alone. I felt on the inside like, I can never let anyone hear or see what goes on in my mind or in my heart because I'm broken, dirty, worthless. 
but I saw and heard in you that you had been where I'd been and you weren't anymore. And you, and it was genuine. There was something that touched me, that little flicker of light and hope, which I would now refer to as God, was touched by your recovery. So what I'm grateful for is you who shone so brightly, you worked the steps, you did service, you gave back, you practiced these principles in all your affairs. You made a mistake, you owned up to it. So I started just trying to do what you did. The second step says we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I've been brought up in a somewhat religious home. I'd attended church weekly until sort of uh, my teen years. I'd even been an altar girl. I don't ever remember feeling particularly positive, negative or anything about church. I liked it when I was little because we got to color pictures of Jesus. <laughs> I liked it when I got to be an altar girl because I felt like I was part of. But as soon as that part was done, as soon as I went through a certain uh, confirmation process, uh, my parents said we, once we did that, we didn't have to go to church and I never went back. I didn't have a negative experience. I just didn't particularly have a positive one. So in the beginning, what I came to believe in wasn't God. I didn't have a big negative experience with God. But what I came to believe in is that you were telling me the truth. That you had been as crazy as I had been and you weren't anymore. And then the third step says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Two things about that, that at first I did not, I thought I would never agree to. One was a masculine God. It wasn't, I wanted a feminine one. It was just something in me was like, something in me needed something more neutral than that. And the other thing was, step three sounded like I had to let go. Now you've been saying that in the meetings since I got there, you continue to say it, but I don't know about you, but there's things that are said in the meetings that I don't hear until it's time for me to hear them. So when I heard and saw step three, making a decision to turn my will and my life over, really what I did was I, I would start to mentally get hung up on the words and the principles and my own judgments about what program was and what those exact words were. And I had a big resentment against the big book. I can tell you that now. Didn't read it for years. Thought it was old fashioned and sexist and racist and oh all sorts of I had lots of opinions I can tell you that it's a resource of sanity for me today and I don't have my personal issues and personal differences don't get in the way of receiving a message of amazing hope so I'll just finish by saying my my initial surrender process 
was more like this. Well, what the hell? Everything I've tried hasn't worked. Might as well give this a shot. But it had that energy about it. And what I mean is, I didn't think it was going to work at all. I didn't think anything would work on me. But I was so cut off from my own heart and soul that I hadn't connected to that hopelessness at that level yet. But I thought I'd give it a shot. There's this cheesy thing I heard once that, you know, if you don't get what you want and program, we'll gladly refund your misery at the door. <laughs> My way wasn't working. I wasn't convinced your way would. I was deeply suspicious and fear-driven. But the light was on in your eyes, and I wanted what you had. So at first, my decision was, I'll go to the next meeting. I'll work the next step. I'll do the next service position. And I'll suspend judgment a little for now. That's it for me on the first part. I will hand it over to Megan uh, and Janice, if you could, like I said, time for, let me say about five minutes. Over to you, Megan. Hi friends, I'm Megan, compulsive reader and food addict. Um, yeah, trust God. So I, uh, I grew up Catholic, Catholic school, the whole meal deal. Um, and I remember as a child long before, you know, program long before I even knew about Alcoholics Anonymous, let alone Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, but I just remember I had such a reverence for whoever God was. And I had such a deep personal relationship with a God of my understanding in many ways. I remember I loved going to mass, not necessarily because of what the priest said, but just because I loved the ritual and I loved the beauty of like our, our, our parish that we were a part of was really gorgeous. And I, my mother would never go to church with me. She just kind of like sent me because that was the only way she could get her parents to pay for my education. <laughs> um, I come from a family of addicts. Um, but I remember going to mass in, in school and, yeah, just knowing that like school was so painful. I, there was so much trauma, so much bullying, so much harshness. I had no, I, I had, I had no relationship with any of the children that I was like in school with, let alone any concept of what it would look like to have a relationship with them. Um, but I always knew that I just felt safe in the house of God. And I am so grateful for that because even though like when school ended and I started to, you know, become a teenager and just progress in my disease, as it were, um, I, uh, even though I started seeking my own vision and I transferred out like this concept of God for 
you know, kind of like a, a, a granola eating, like weed smoking, like just like cool hipster God that was like the universe or whatever that I, when I attached that spirituality, I, I really never lost that deep, deep reverence for something spiritual. And I feel really grateful for that, that I, I was given that as a framework because the amount of trauma that I have um, surfaced as a result of this program, because I no longer stuff my, and I should mention, I meant to mention this at the beginning, you know, I'm vocal about um, being sexually abused as a child. And that is really important for me to address um, because, and speak about, because that is such a core connection um, to my disease, you know? Um, so as my memories have surfaced as an adult, um, and as I feel deeper and deeper into this trauma that I experienced as a child, I can keep coming back to this core nugget that I am so grateful for that I was taught um, a concept of a higher power that, you know, worked for me when I was younger. But I also should be clear that there were parts of my higher power that didn't work for me. Um, I believed in a Santa Claus God. I believed in a God that loved me conditionally, not unconditionally, conditionally. Um, I believed in a God where a lot of my prayers as a child were, please, God, let this happen or let this happen. Let this happen. I had no sense of agency at all of what I could or couldn't control. In fact, I was all mixed up about what I did have control over and what I didn't, which I think, you know, the fact that the serenity prayer existed, that was one of my first kind of like, hmm, there might be something to this program things that popped out to me because it, it was like, I was like, there's a prayer for this thing that I've been thinking <laughs> the whole time. Like you can just put like wherever, I don't know, like 27 words or however long the prayer is. And like, wow, that saves a lot of brain space. Um, I, another tr thing around the trust God is, uh, you know, I had a view of a Santa Claus God, but I also had this view of like, God is like a, a balance being like a bar, you know, like I would be on my own doing all my own. And then if I started to sway too far, God was something that I would lean on. And then it was like, but then I'd be like right back to being on my own, being on my own. And then life would put top me over. And then I'd be like, ah, I got to reach for God. You know, like God was kind of like a 911 call basically. And what's happened in program as a result of this program. And again, I work a set of steps every year. So every year, you know, it's kind of like I shed a layer of stuff that keeps me from my higher power. And what I've discovered is slowly, slowly, Yes, there is the God to lean on externally, but there's also the God. I see. I think that's time, right? Is that time? Okay, I'll finish with this. Um, that uh, God is like a spine to me. No longer a balance beam that I have to lean on. God is my spine and God keeps me going, you know, and I have the muscles like God, you know, like I, I'm the one who gets to move the muscles but in the end, God is there keeping me straight. So, yeah. All right. I'll finish there. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. Over to you, Maureen. Thanks. Can you hear me? Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, step one was my first surrender. 
And I went as far as being able to say, I can't control the food anymore. And I don't know how to manage my emotions in a healthy way. I had lots of knowledge, but it wasn't working. It was just information in my head, but it didn't translate into a change in my behavior. I think the spiritual awakening for me in that first step was realizing that my food problem was more than just a food problem. That the insanity I was feeling around the food and my way of living my life in some areas, in some areas I was coping well, but um, I needed help with this thing about control, me trying to control everything in my life because I was trying really hard, but it wasn't working and I didn't know what else to do. So there was, there was a level of surrender that I was capable of at that time and that got me to a meeting. And in retrospect, I, I think there were spiritual experiences along the way with people that came into my life, information that came into my life that got me to an OA meeting. I come from a background of uh, anti-religion. Even though I went to Sunday school um, as a kid, my family uh, quit going to church when I was in my uh, early teens, I think. And then I went to university. I studied psychology. I was part of a generation of people that were anti anything establishment. So if you said you believed in God, that was not cool. And, you know, psychology and the human potential movement was really huge. And I got involved in um, self-development programs and other things that um, it was all about empowerment and becoming, you know, kind of your own um, creator of your own life and leaning on anything spiritual was just like, are you kidding? That was admitting that um, there was something wrong with you, basically. So I kept the fact that I was in a way a secret for a long time. I didn't tell people and um, I was desperate when I went there. Um, When it said, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I was willing to say that this group, this group of people and the skills that they were teaching me and the contact I was having with them, that was a power greater than me and it was working. And it gave me a great deal of relief. And again, when I look back and I remember that first meeting I went to, I felt calm and I felt hopeful when I left. I didn't feel high. And that was different than when I'd gone to other weight loss groups. I would come out of those other meetings pumped and, you know, this is the answer and I'm going to be okay now. But with this one, I just had a feeling that this was a long-term process and there was stuff here for me to learn. And I was in the right place. 
made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. I was able to make a decision to keep coming back and keep going to meetings. And I knew that I needed to do that because I knew that this was the end of the road. There weren't any other programs that I knew about. And I really liked these people that were here. Some of them were kind of odd. They weren't people I would normally cross paths with in my life. But man, they had something that I didn't have. And I wanted it. So I kept coming back. So that was, there was a spiritual thing going on there, but I wouldn't have labeled it that at the time. So since that time, with step one now, um, I am willing, grateful, and relieved to surrender. You know, like, I don't want to do this all by myself. It is way too hard to try and do life by myself. And I have more than enough evidence that I can't control my compulsive eating, other people, places, things, my character defects, none of it. I get that there's a part that I have to do, but, you know, it's just too darn exhausting to try and do it all myself. When I had that relapse, I realized that the people particularly my sponsor, could not be my higher power. I needed my own personal higher power. I needed that power that would be there when I was alone and would be there for forever. And I did not know how to get it, but I knew that I needed to work on that. So that's what I asked my new sponsor to help me with. And I have come to believe in a power greater than myself that I did a lot of research to find a God that felt like it was my God. And I did a lot of reading. And eventually, I, I felt a real thing that gave me comfort and guidance. Step three, there was a turning point where when I read step three and it said, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God, the word care jumped out at me and I realized that, okay, I can go for this. I want a God that cares about me and will look after me and will guide me. I want a God that I can be a partner with. I didn't want the big daddy in the sky. And I didn't want to feel like I had to just throw up my hands and say, you fix it. You know, I'm powerless. But this care of God, somehow that worked for me. That, oh, you know, this was, this was teamwork. And, yeah, I really wanted this. And, and I, I, could, I could do this. So I made a decision that I was going to trust this power because I had enough experience with synchronicity and intuition and guidance coming to me that I couldn't explain that I knew that there was something more going on here than what I could understand. 
And at this point, I did not need to understand it. I just wanted to keep experiencing it. So I was at that point willing to do the spiritual work that I needed to do to grow that force. Hi, Maureen. Nice. Thank you. Thanks, Maureen. Um, I think that's it for now. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, before the OA Rise team gives another blurb and we take a break, I just want to remind everyone attending that we would love to hear about your spiritual awakening experiences. And if you could please send them as a message in chat to Connie, who is one of the co-hosts. We would love to receive them. We're going to share them afterwards, like after this session is all done. They're going to be put into a document anonymously, and all of your stories of awakening are going to be a document that'll be available on the OA Rise website, along with the recording of today. So thanks so much for your input and sharing, and over to the OA Rise team. Thank you. Thanks, Denise and Megan and Maureen. Uh, so it's 2.04. Let's take a five-minute break. And my time, I gotta remember we're all in different time zones. Um, so, uh, just briefly, actually, before we come back, we're going to take a, a virtual uh, seven tradition break. So, uh, before we resume, resume, we'll take a moment and pass the virtual seven tradition basket. According to our seven tradition, we are self supporting through our own contributions. Again, our OA Rise meeting expenses are a Zoom meeting subscription. And the cost of the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the OA Rise recordings, speaker recordings for you. Any contributions that we get in excess of our meeting expenses will go directly to world service. Um, I'm just going to show everyone. I know we do this every meeting, but there are a lot of people who um, do ask questions about how exactly do I do that. So I'm just going to show you guys. Um, the easiest way to do it is just to go to the oarise.org uh, website and open it up. And on the very first page that you see, it's right here. So contribute uh, now. So all you have to do is contribute and, or sorry, uh, hit contribute, and then it'll bring up the uh, ways that you can. Um, okay, and Denise, are you back? Sorry, I'm spotlighted, so I can. Yep, I'm here. Okay, great. Okay, so I'm going to turn it all back to you now. Great. Thanks so much to OA Rise. I'm a compulsive reader. My name's Denise. Thank you to, to my sisters in recovery, Megan and Maureen, who are sharing with me today. Uh, in case you're just joining us, what we're talking about is what is a spiritual awakening anyways? And we decided to break it up into sharing on the steps. So in the first part, we shared about steps one through three, uh, trust God. And in this section, we're going to talk about how to clean house, which is the action steps, steps four through nine. And then in the last section, session of the day, we'll talk about uh, helping others, which is steps 10, 11, and 12. So for this second section, we're going to have Megan share first, then me, and then Maureen. And uh, Janice is our timer. Thank you for being our timer. And uh, my apologies if I went cruising past the time. I expected a sound and I didn't hear a sound. And then afterwards, I realized she was prob you're probably waving frantically. You didn't see a damn thing. Anyway. I'll pay attention this time, <laughs> um, but uh, if you could, looking at the time, 
Yeah, if you could give us uh, 15 minutes each, steps four through nine, they really are the, yeah, the work. <laughs> it didn't take a while to share about that. So over to you, Megan. Yes, hello. Uh, and sorry, I just, it's Janice timing again, right? Okay, great. I just saw you. Zoom moved you. Sorry, I'm dog sitting. So there's uh, every time someone has the audacity to close a car door within a 12 meter radius, these guys go nuts. So anyway, um, hello friends. Oh, and now she wants to play. Uh, my name is Megan. I am a compulsive overeater and food addict. Uh, and, uh, okay, clean house. Um, so I think back to prior to recovery of, well, first of all, if I were to take that even literally at all, um, that, uh, cleaning house, like, was a thing, I'd, I did clean my house. I cleaned my house house because I went to boarding school um, and we would have inspection and I literally would clean my place because I would get inspected. And that's like what I grew up with, um, with having was just other people judging me um, because of how I kept a certain area. And I think that metaphor is just so perfect. I'm just so glad somebody else thought of that metaphor because um, it's real good. Uh, because that's exactly what it's like to clean house on the inside. And that's why I would pretend to clean my house on the inside and the outside. Uh, because I, as it says in our big book, I, I wanted to look a certain way and um, and be a certain way. And... Um, and be seen a certain way, um, uh, right down from the actions of what I was doing. And I remember coming into this program and just being like, like there was such a disconnect. And I think there still kind of is like the, the logic doesn't really follow through necessarily that because I'm going within being, being a good person that mean like all I want to do is just stop eating Oreos like that's kind of that was all that's all I just once I get that then wham bam thank you ma'am like I'm out of here I'm gonna climb all over people to get what I want in my career to like have the is the visions that I want you know if I want to be seen with a certain type of partner or a certain type of person like I don't care who I hurt you know it's just once I get to be that certain level of um thinness then uh then I'll be great and I can just be an asshole and um all is well uh and turns out it doesn't work that way at least not for me um you know and one thing I'll I'd like to say as well in terms of the action steps was um so again with my story I was uh you know, I entered into this program. I was in it for about six months. I was like, this is the best thing ever. Why would anybody ever leave? And then I got hit by a car, which incidentally, the anniversary of me getting hit is tomorrow. That tomorrow is like the 15 year. So this grief makes a lot of sense now. Um, 
for me, but, uh, in, I, I, once I, when I got hit, I was on step three and that was a true surrender. Like it really was on every level. Like it shattered my ankle. I was a dancer, you know, it just like, it, it was a lot. Um, but I was on step three and I think higher power was really taking care of me with that. Um, and then I moved on to step four while I was in the hospital and, um, and I was on step four while I was finishing up my degree in the UK and then moving back to Canada and like refiguring everything. Um, and then on step four, uh, also on the cleaning house part was when I decided that I had watched The Secret. I didn't need program anymore. Thank you so much. I'm just going to visualize my future and I don't need to be around all these negative people talking about how sad they are. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to save you a lot of pain and just give a spoiler alert that that didn't work out great for me. But I did what the big book said, and I went out and I tried to find my own solution. However, um, I, the way this relates to cleaning house is because I left the program on step four, which I do not recommend. If you are considering leaving program, just wait till you finish the steps. I'm just going to go ahead and give some unsolicited advice there. <laughs> like a real hard, uh, a real hard um, learned suggestion that if you're going to leave program, leave on step 12. Don't leave on step four because I recently went back and checked out all my journals and I was a real hot mess, you know, because the steps, the way that I see them, they're like a, a recipe. You know, I bake a lot and I've, I've, I actually baked the, the other day I was baking this thing. Um, I won't say what it was. Um, I baked sugar-free and I had forgot to put like the butter in to this like baking and I forgot. And it was like the very last step. And I remember just being like, like, why do these taste like sandpaper? And then I was like, oh, and then I like kind of basted it. And it just like the chemicals just weren't there. And it, I view it the same with the steps that it's like they they come in a very specific reason. They come in an order for a very specific reason. We have to learn how to trust God before we can learn how to clean house. Um, and by the way, Janice, you've disappeared from my screen. So if you're waving, I cannot see you. Um, I don't know if you're, if there's a video on or off. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Okay. Beauty. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so they, they exist for a reason. And so I just say that because going back to my initial intro, as it were to this, when I was saying about how before it was get what I want when I want it, why do I have to be a good person in order to lose weight? That doesn't make sense. Is that the irony of all of this is that the physical recovery is the least exciting part of my recovery. And what I've learned through cleaning house is that, um, all I have to do is just show up, like show up. That really, that's all I have to do. And if I don't even have the willingness to show up, I can pray for the willingness to show up or the willingness to be willing or the willingness to be willing to be willing to be willing. And I can go back as far as I need to. And that's the only action that I need to like put my self will into. 
you know, in terms of cleaning house and taking action, uh, this is elbow grease, by the way, that's what this is. Um, but in terms of taking action, like there were so many ways without program that I would just take action and I would just be spinning my wheels because it was always fear-based. And it was always because like somebody's grandmother's neighbor's dog sitter told me that that was a thing that you're supposed to do in order to get better in the world, or here's a diet to follow or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, you know, like just kind of like taking whatever advice from other people and just taking action, taking action, taking action. But what I've learned is that when I get centered in my higher power, I don't have to take every single action that needs that other people have taken in step work or otherwise. I just have to take the action that God wants me to do. And that includes amends. You know, the way I work my set of steps is we spend um, one week on step nine, one week. And all you have to do to move on to the next step is by doing one amend. And, um, and it's the same with step four, where we spend two weeks on step four, but that's it. You spend two weeks on step four. I set chunks amount of time to journal, but it's like the way I see it is like, this is my first set of steps, or this is my current set of steps. This isn't my last set of steps, you know? And that means that if I don't catch it this time, I'm going to catch it another time. Cause I ain't going nowhere, you know, like I'll be doing the set of steps again. I'm going to still be in program tomorrow. God willing, you know, like it doesn't have to be perfect. And that I think is the core of the spiritual awakening in terms of recovery for me is that like, it really doesn't have to be a perfect, um, clean inspected <laughs> home in her home, you know, it just needs to be done or good. Like it just needs to be good enough. Um, okay. And the, the last image that I just want to share with you in terms of cleaning house is, uh, cause I think, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't seen the way did I, did I blow through my time? Oh, I have five more minutes. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Well then, um okay so uh okay then if I have five more minutes then let me elaborate on some of the amends that I've done that I have never thought that uh I would have possible to be done um is in terms of cleaning house so uh You know, like so much of my life growing up was thinking that I, uh, thinking that I'm justified, that I deserve stuff. Like when the food disease, it was like, I deserve this treat because I've worked really hard or, uh, you know, you deserve a break or I would be um, house sitting for somebody and I deserve to eat all of their food or I deserve to eat all of my roommates food because they're um, because, well, really what I know to be true now is that I never had a mother figure. I never had parents who gave a shit about me really um, certainly not around my emotional needs. They were not capable of 
doing it. Um, and so I was neglected emotionally, even though physically I had a bunch of my needs taken care of emotionally, I was not. And so I would eat to fill that God size hole, let alone again, the childhood sexual abuse and the trauma that I, um, survived. And so food became this way of making up for that need because I was never taught to meet those needs emotionally. Um, certainly never like proactively taught that, but I also just learned through modeling that the way my parents treated me must mean that that's how I deserve to be treated. So when I grew up with this deservingness, it was like, there was always the shame just like buckled onto that of like, I deserve to eat this treat. I deserve to eat this thing. I've been good for X amount of time. Therefore, uh, you know, I now deserve to be bad, you know, that control release part of the addiction cycle. And, you know, you could push the spring down so far, but if we're still operating at the level of disease, it's just a matter of time. Like what goes up must come down. Um, binging is part of the restricting cycle and restricting is part of the binging cycle. Like that they, they're the same coin. So, uh, so all of that to say that I've developed this mass of, of things that I needed to do. And uh, the first set of steps that I did, I definitely did some very thorough amends to people. Uh, but what I've learned in my amend making and my inventory taking process over the years is that uh, shame is a feeling. But just because I have shame around something, it doesn't necessarily mean that I've caused harm to other people. Um, and so what I've learned in program is that like my first set of steps, I just wanted to apologize to everybody for everything. Like, oh, I breathed. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I breathed. Not even on you. I just breathed. I was in the room across from you and I think I hiccuped and I'm so sorry. And like, that was just this knee jerk reaction. Um, and of course it was, you know, like what I've heard in program is that the first five years that we're in program, uh, we're newcomers, you know, and certainly the first five years that we're abstinent, you're still a newcomer. So, you know, the first two years of getting clean from anything, like, we're crazy. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I've, I've like, like, like just nuts. That, that was me trying to whistle. I can't whistle. Um, but, but all that to say that like, there were also amends that I had that I was like, there's no fucking way that I can make that amend. And I, I think specifically of um, an amend that I actually made in program that I needed to make for was uh, I took this one gig bartending for a couple of years and um, I was part of a conspiracy as it were of this where like we stole, basically we like skimmed off the top and we stole. And this happened while I was in program, in recovery, working like a pretty strong program to the best of my ability. And I was in so much justification about how poorly I was paid and how, you know, like I deserved the money and all of that stuff. But like, again, through working the program consistently, showing up, showing up, 
my therapist has an exercise that I do regularly, which is giving the shame back, visualizing whenever I feel shame. Okay. Thanks of giving the shame back. Um, is that, uh, I realized about, and I'll, I'll, I will finish with this. I realized about two, about a year after the thing happened was when I started to get the slow burn of awareness that it was an amend I needed to make. And then that was it. And then the year next year, I brought it up with my therapist that that was an amend that I think I needed to make and brought it up with my sponsor. And that was it. And then a year later, I said, okay, I think I'm willing to make the amendment because like, again, this is kind of like a jailable fireable offense. Like I still needed that job and it would have caused me hurt. It would have hurt me to make that amend. So uh, the next year I took the amount that it was out of like my paycheck and I put it in the dashboard of my car. It was like $200 in cash. And I put it in the dashboard of my car and I drove around with it in my car for a year. And I said, if I don't need that money to live, I'm going to make the amend next year. Sure enough, the next year came around and I still didn't have the willingness to make the amend, but I prayed on it and I talked about it more. And by the following year, I was so ready to make the amend. It was scary. I was so scared I was going to get fired. I was scared I was going to j- go to jail. I was scared I was going to have like all of this stuff. And I remember I made the amend and sure enough, I did get fired. I didn't go to jail, but they ha- gave me so much respect. Like they just said, I totally respect you for doing this. Obviously you can't work here anymore, you know, whatever. Was there anybody else involved? I said, you know, I can't do that because it's not my place. But all in all, what ended up happening was I actually have since had, this was like a New Year's Eve job that I did. And since that time, I've had the most peaceful New Year's Eves where I don't even have to work anymore at all because God has taken care of the financials, God willing, one year at a time. Um I didn't even want to work that freaking job anyway. Um, so anyway, I will just, I will end that there just by saying that God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And even if I wasn't able or willing to make amends or clean house in a certain way at the beginning of my recovery, it is constantly dynamic. And I am constantly improving as I continue in this program one day at a time, progress, not perfection. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Megan. Uh, I'm a compulsive eater. My name's Denise. And oh, I actually have me going next. Maureen, shall I go next or do you want to go next? Do you have a preference? Go ahead. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the action steps of cleaning house, steps four through nine. So good to hear your sharing. Oh, yeah, both of you, you're sharing. So my impression of the 12 steps when I first got here was I saw no relationship whatsoever between those steps on the wall and the fact that I just needed to to lose weight and then my life would be great. I had no, oh, that wasn't turned off. Hang on one sec. (laughs) Um, I was very disconnected from myself and I lived from the neck up in my head and that head was full of fear and self-hatred. So I, I wasn't connected to me, which means I wasn't connected to you and I wasn't connected to reality. Uh, 
And as I said before, gratefully, I had really good examples. People in Overeaters Anonymous who had what I wanted worked the steps. And they talked about God all the time, whether I liked it or not. Um, and I believe in the 29 years I've been here, I've worked the steps at least 20 times. It was every year for the first nine years. Um, but for me, I know there's uh, opinions vary. And for some, uh, you know, the approach is you work the steps once and then you live through, you live in steps 10, 11, and 12 because they are maintenance steps because they encapsulate the preceding nine steps. But the truth is I didn't live in 10, 11, and 12. I didn't stay honest and continue to take inventory and promptly admit when I was wrong and make amends. So for me, what's worked has been to go back to the steps again and again and to, and I've only ever been able up until two years ago, actually, it's only ever able to do it in a group, in a collective, in a step group where we made a decision that we would get together every week and read the step and write and share and work through it that way. And that web of recovery and of others going through it uh, acted as my acted as a, a huge part of my support system and really higher power so that I, I was able to face things that were really scary. So I want to share three stories about my personal experience in those steps four through nine. One, the first one is actually about a step one experience, but it does relate. The second one is about a step four or five experience where I was witnessing someone else's step five and an amazing thing happened. And then something that just happened in the last year related to that second one. So the very first step group I was in, the format was we would read the step and then we would go away, we would write, just journal writing, and then we would come back. And it was the very first week and I was in this step group with five or six other women and I was really intimidated by them. I, uh, I was the newest in recovery and there was a woman there who'd been in for five years, for gosh sakes, five years. She was just, I thought she had everything figured out, okay? So I, um, I brought into program all the character <laughs> defects that I'd always had. And one of them was desperately doing whatever you wanted me to do or not do so that you would like me. And also desperately hiding anything and everything about me on the inside that I thought would mean you would reject me. So I brought that into this step group with me. This is, again, this is my, you know, my first year in recovery and I'm just, uh, I'm following directions as best as I can. And I'm continuing to act out in all these ways, not even knowing I'm acting out in them. Oh, actually, I'll mention something right now that was really helpful to me in case it's helpful to you. I had someone describe to me once that when I'm acting out in a character defect and I'm not aware of it, uh, maybe I'm in denial, where, whatever's going on, I'm acting out in that way and I'm causing harm to myself and others, but I'm not aware of it. I'm blissfully unaware, practically. And then uh, the second stage of that experience is I continue to act out in that way and I 
feel the pain. I feel what I'm, the harm I'm causing you, and I feel the harm I'm causing myself. And I get in touch with how powerless I am over that spiritual change that is done for me from the inside out. And then the third phase is I no longer act out in that way. And it has been lifted from me by a power greater than myself. So uh, why did I want to say that right then? I'm not sure. I'll see if I remember. So back to story number one. I'm in the step group. We've read step one. I go away. I write my step. I write out everything I can possibly think of about how I'm powerless and my life has become unmanageable. And I went for it. I don't know if it was five pages or three pages or 10 pages, but really early in recovery to just like, and just kind of verbally blah that onto the page. It was intense. And I had it with me and I was going to the group and I was taking the bus and I had to switch buses. So I was sitting at the bus stop uh, waiting for the second bus. And the thought occurred to me that maybe I didn't really, oh, and when we got to the group, what we would do is we would share what we had written with each other. It was a small enough group and we had enough time, so we would do that. And it occurred to me that maybe I should edit out a few things. Maybe maybe it's not such a good idea to tell these people all this stuff. Um, and, uh, and maybe I should just, you know, you know, check it. And so I opened, I, I, I went to those pages. I don't know if it was loose pages or a journal. I don't remember. Long time ago. And I tried to read it. And this is the first and only time it's ever happened to me in my life. Everything went blurry. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't read it. I've never had this happen since. I, I was completely puzzled by this. I was like, what? And, I, and so I tried and I couldn't, I couldn't read it. I, I just, it was physically impossible. I didn't know what was going on. So I closed it back up and I went to the group and I shared it at the group. And what I believe now is that was one of my spiritual awakenings, one of my earliest. And it was, I'm not supposed to do this alone. I'm never, I was never meant to do this alone. I wasn't given my own planet with no one else on it. <laughs> I'm here with all of you. And as scary as it is, and as intimidating as it is sometimes, or just hard work sometimes that it is, uh, I have been healed through the process of getting honest with myself and then sharing that genuinely with you. So then the second thing, second story I want to share about is I'd been in for a few years and there was a member who approached me. She, she wasn't someone I sponsored, but she approached me and said she had been writing a step four for, I think at that point, four or five years. She had multiple like booklets. It was actually written in another language. And she asked if I would be willing to hear it. And I said, yes. And we made arrangements. I think we ended up meeting three times. She came to my apartment and she started sharing. And of course, she had to translate what she was sharing into English, English to share it with me. And I don't remember how the first one went. Evidently, we did it. She shared as much as she could. And then we came back. Actually, I, I couldn't tell you. It was either the second I just have this gut feeling it was probably the third and final session because it was intense. Here's what happened. 
she got to the place in her step four where she shared the things she was most ashamed of. She was a mother and she had yelled at and grabbed and shook. She physically and emotionally and verbally abused her own children. And not only that, she had a childcare facility in her home and she'd done that with other people's children. And when she Before, before sharing my own step five or hearing someone else's step five, I don't think I've ever skipped this, but at the, be at the beginning of that process, we pray. And for me, I pray to invite in a power greater than us both to guide us in that process, to say what needs to be said, um, to release what needs to be released. And I can't imagine the courage it took her to share that. She'd been in program for many years. She'd done many steps of steps. And she'd never been able to share this. I can tell you I felt zero judgment. I was looking in the eyes of a woman who had been marinating in guilt and shame for what she had done. And she had not done that for many years. So her, you know, uh, living amends was uh, being a mom and a caregiver to any child in her care who was warm and loving and, you know, as best as we can. I'm not a mom. I can't speak to it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't speak to it. I, I've never been a mom, so I can't know what it's like. But I knew right then I was sitting across from someone who was sharing with me the deepest, darkest secret that they never thought they would share. And it was many years in program for me too. And I had done the steps a number of times, four or five, six, I don't know how many at that point. I'd done step fives. I'd been as honest as I thought I, I'd, I'd been as honest as I, as I could be. I'd, I'd shared, <laughs> I shared what I had remembered. But in the moment when she shared that, A memory was brought back to me that I had completely forgotten until that moment. Until that moment when a power greater than us both brought it forth in my memory. And back in my drinking and drugging days, I had worked at a childcare facility and I had, well, inappropriately been given the task of being the one-on-one -on -one care worker for a young girl who was physically and emotionally um, handicapped, differently abled, uh, whatever the appropriate term is. She was in a wheelchair. She was 12 years old. Her abilities socially were around three or four years old. She would throw tantrums. She needed to use a catheter to go to the bathroom and she needed assistance to do that. And she had a trained and experienced early childhood educator who was her one-on-one -on -one caregiver who went on vacation. And someone thought I should be that caregiver. And behind closed doors in that handicapped washroom over and over again, I would yell at her and I would grab her. Overwhelmed and frustrated in the situation. And I had never, I had not even, I'd never remembered it. How is that possible? I had never remembered this.
And it, so at that moment, the memory came back and I'm, in a, I'm hearing someone else's step four. It's not time for me to be sharing my stuff. But what I said was, could you listen right now? Would it be possible for me to share something with you that I've just, that has just come back to me? And she said, yes, and I did. And neither of us were alone anymore with that. So fast forward to a related amends that happened that I was able to do just in this last uh, year, couple of years. Um, oh, Janice, what, how much time have I got? One minute. Okay, I'll be fast. At the time when I remembered that, and the next time I worked the steps and the times after, I obviously included that in my step four. And through guidance with sponsors, I've had a number of amazing sponsors in my life and prayer and meditation, I had been guided that going back to that family and going back to that girl, for one thing, she probably was no longer alive. Her life expectancy wasn't long. That there was this understanding or belief that this wasn't going to be, uh, that would just cause more harm than good. So I, the guidance I got was to be of service and to, to really be there for the children that came across my path. So women that I sponsored who had children, um, my family members who had children. And I prayed and, and acted as best I could as a loving, warm, caring human adult around them. Then it came back. So a couple of years ago, I felt the need to deepen my spiritual life. I felt like there was a lot further I needed to go. And if I didn't, if I didn't continue to time, time, thank you. If I didn't continue to develop that, I would be, well, I'd go back to the food. It's as simple as that. So I shared in my step five about it. And I didn't know why it had come back. It seemed odd. And I prayed for guidance about what kind of amends I could do. And an idea about an indirect amends came from God. And it was, I needed to go do volunteer work with children who were differently abled and be of service to children who were as close as possible to that girl that I had abused. And I ended up working at a horse therapy program. And I didn't have to hurt anyone. I prayed like hell when I would go. I was able to be present. I was able to show up and be taught how to work with these children as best I could. And I feel like a part of my soul got scrubbed clean. So yeah, this is a journey. Lots happens over the course of recovery. And I really hope you just keep coming back. And if, if you're like me, if repeated working of the steps is, is what works for you, 
I, I pray you keep doing that because it has, it has been remarkable. Okay, so that's my sharing on cleaning house. I will now uh, hand it over to Maureen. Thanks, Denise. Wow. Whew. I feel like I have to take a breath there. Powerful steps, Fordle 9. Steps four to nine were the skills I needed to learn that I didn't know that I needed to learn when I came into program. They were very different than anything I had studied or learned before. Um, the, the program back in 1987 when I came in uh, had a lot of the process is based on uh, AA Big Book, and there, there weren't any um, fourth step questions from OA at that time, so there was a set of questions that people did that I think came originally from AA. So I was curious about them. I wasn't afraid, but I I had a sense that this was something pretty important that was going to happen. So being the perfectionist that I am, I did them very thoroughly. I had pages and pages and pages. And my recollection of doing that process is it was very profound. It made, it was life-changing for me. I didn't realize that I needed to take responsibility for my life. That seems like such an obvious thing that you would have learned, but it was the first time that I really thought about my part in my own misery. You know, what, what expectations had I had that were unrealistic? What was I um, not doing that I needed to do? Why wasn't I doing it? Uh, it was really eye-opening for me to sort out that part of um, my responsibility. And I needed help with that. I needed somebody in program to uh, walk me through the the answers to those questions and help me figure out what my part was. It was a, it was a big spiritual aha for me to see the world differently, see my behavior differently. And in learning that, I realized that by changing things that I was doing or the way, ways that I saw things, my life could be better, it could be different. And that was new for me and really important. I was, my sponsor recommended a woman to receive my first fourth step. She was in AA and had long-term recovery in AA. And my God, she was patient. I was at her house for hours reading this mammoth document that I had written and she just listened and 
barely commented and the things that I was so ashamed of, which in retrospect were so minor. I mean, really, my fourth step was pretty tame compared to some four steps that I've witnessed, you know, I, but I, it was, it was hard for me to talk about the things that were in that fourth step. And she was not phased one iota. And that was remarkable to me that she just, she thought I was an okay person at the end of it all. And made me dinner. It was, it was, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that in doing step four to nine, I realized that I needed some outside help. And I, I have received outside help at various times in recovery that has made a difference in my ability to absorb the steps and learn from them. And uh, it's been a great combination of a big picture for me. Um, the first step four was a biggie. And then several times after that, I have focused in on some things that have resurfaced that resentments that I've had and feelings of um, yeah, anger, resentment, jealousy procrastination, um, you know, some things that are recurrent and I seem to need to keep revisiting them. But not, I've never had to do a real big fourth step like that, one that I did it the first time around. And I've, I, I've been in uh, step groups over the years too, where we work through all 12 steps. So I, I see the steps four to nine as um, something that I've done with other people as well. After that first step, uh, four and five, a real emotional weight was lifted from me. I'm sorry, I've got my screen tilted here. I'm, there, that's a little bit better. Um, I felt compassion for myself, and therefore I was able to feel some compassion and empathy for other people. Um, I could see similarities between me and other people and that I thought maybe I was the only one that felt this way. I mean, intellectually, I knew I couldn't be the only one, but um, yeah, I, I felt like I belonged. I felt on an equal level to people and yeah, that was new to me. Now I, I think my step 10 is, is like a four to nine. And it's a, a reflection and an inspection of what's going on with me in the moment. And I now know that I need to pay attention to that and do something about it. If there's action that I need to take, I need to pray and ask my higher power for guidance to know is there something I need to do? If there is, what is it that I need to do? Can you please help me have the courage to, to follow through and take care of whatever it is, whether it's an amends or whatever it is? 
step six and seven, I've come to really realize that, really realize that's probably not very good English, but I've come, I have an awareness now that character defects are my misuse of some natural instincts that are part of my personality. And they are also something that I have some degree of powerlessness over, that there's action and work that I need to do when I am practicing one of those character defects. And I know that it's like when I have a resentment, I know that hurts me. I know that's going to make me eat if I don't do something about it. So I have to pray. I have, I have to have a, a belief in something that's greater than me that's going to support me if I let that resentment go. So as I've developed more of a faith in and a belief in that power greater than me, I think the more I've been able to not need those character defects as much as I needed them or used them before I came into program. I didn't realize that my attempts to control my character defects were causing me a lot of stress because it wasn't working. And that was playing a part in my reaching for the food to deal with the discomfort of my anger and my resentment and my self-loathing and, you know, the list of neg negative feelings that I had about myself in the world. But now that I do have a belief and a faith, I am quite happy to pray to my higher power and say, this is happening. I know it's going to hurt me. I know it's going to hurt other people. Um, I know that something needs to change here and I don't know how to do it. Please guide me. Please give me the, the courage or the strength or whatever it is it's going to take for me to behave differently and, and not, re not react this way to the things that are going on in my life. Step eight and nine, again, I had to uh, understand what this was. Um, I still need to run it by another, another OA member or my sponsor when I think I need to make an amends because I'm not quite sure sometimes whether I'm, there is really an amends that needs to be made or whether I'm just feeling ashamed of what I've said or done or is it my people pleasing that maybe I've spoken, I've spoke up for myself and it wasn't well received by somebody. My instinct is to apologize because I've upset them, but that isn't necessarily always what has to happen. It could be that I needed to say what I needed to say. Their reaction is none of my business. And so I, I have needed help to sort that out because it scares me when I speak up for myself. I'm afraid that 
I have a lot of fear about that, that I'm going to be hurt or that I'm going to be abandoned or something bad is going to happen if I say um, my truth to someone who doesn't want to hear it or, yeah, it's, it takes practice. Steps four through nine freed me up, freed up space for me to just be in my life and experience serenity and joy and not be so intense all the time. Uh, not feel like I was trying to uh, well, the people-please, approval-seeking, all of that behavior took up a lot of energy, and I have a lot more freedom now to be myself. And when I'm more comfortable with being myself, I don't have the anxiety or the, the discomfort that makes me want to eat or use something to make myself feel better. Um, yeah, I think that's all I'll say about steps four to nine. To me, they're, they're one of the things that makes a 12-step program something different than a weight loss program, because that's where I learn how to act on life whether, rather than react, and I learn how to take care of the business of being a human being in a way that's healthy for me and healthy for the people around me. And I wasn't sure about how to do that before. So that's, that's it for me. Thanks. Lovely. Thank you both. Before I pass it back to the OARISE team for a short break and announcements, uh, I just wanted to remind everyone present that um, if you would like to share your spiritual awakenings by sending a message in chat uh, to Connie, we would love to have those. What we're going to do with it is we're going to compile just those, not every message in chat, but just the spiritual awakening stories or shares that you choose to share, uh, send them to Connie. And then at the end of this session, we'll amalgamate them, we'll remove the names, so it'll be anonymous. And then that will be the document that's posted along with this recording so that it'll have our voices sharing and your voices in another format in uh, a document full of spiritual awakenings. And I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to that. And so I do hope you share. Thanks. Thanks, Denise. And thank you, Megan and Maureen. So we're going to take a five minute break again. It's 3.06. We'll come back at 11 minutes after the hour. Uh, thanks, everybody. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Denise. Sorry, I can't see everybody just yet. Let me go there. Denise, are you back with us? Yes. Yay! Okay. Uh, heading it. Oh, and Denise, I think I, I think I, did you see my uh, message in chat to you? Okay. Just, uh, I did. Sherry had a really nice suggestion. We've had a few people submit their uh, messages to 
uh, chat um, in order to share your experience, strength, and hope uh, with spiritual awakening. Um, but Sherry's suggestion was maybe we could take a few minutes quietly together. And I'm happy to do that because I can always have some journaling, extra journaling time. So Janice, could you put, uh, let's do five minutes. Can you put five minutes on the clock and we'll just stay quietly together. I'm going to go grab my journal and write for a bit. And if, uh, if you don't have to, but if you would be willing, it would be lovely to have you uh, share in the, oh, and I should say it's, you send the message to Connie in chat. Connie is one of our co-hosts and she's receiving all the messages of spiritual awakening. So five minutes on the clock, if you will. Time. Thanks very much, Janice. Okay, so welcome back. Uh, I'm a compulsive eater. My name is Denise, and today's topic is what is a spiritual awakening? Anyways, uh, the first session section we talked about first three steps: one, two, and three, trusting God. This last sec session we talked about the action steps: steps four through nine, which is to clean house. And this session we'll be talking about helping others. Steps 10, 11, and 12, also uh, having been described as the maintenance steps. I understand they've been described that way. Uh, thank you very much for any and all of you who shared uh, and just for taking the time, that quiet time. Um, yeah, quiet time with others is a real gift in my life today. So thank you for indulging us with that. And thanks for the suggestion, Sherry. Okay, so for the third section, what time are we? 3.20. Okay, so um, the plan is for uh, Maureen to go first, then Megan, and then me. And uh, Janice, could you give us, uh, could you give us 12 minutes, somewhere between 10 and 15, 12 minutes, that would be great. Uh, and uh, just a reminder to my, my sisters in recovery, we'll be sharing about helping others, you know, and those last three steps, 10, 11, and 12. Uh, but also, if at the end of your share, you have something, a uh, final thought, um, suggestion, or a prayer, or anything that uh, that you want to leave with people, leave people with today, uh, please do that. Okay, over to you, Maureen. Thank you. Why can't I see myself? Am I there now? I can see you. Oh, there I am. <laughs> You're there. <laughs> I know I'm here. Um, okay, I have my tea. I'm happy camper. Um, steps 10, 11, and 12. Step 10. I wouldn't have known how to do if I hadn't done four till nine. So that that was an important sequence to have happen. I wasn't introduced to any kind of a written step 10. I, I know people have spoken about that later on in, in recovery in more recent years about writing a step 10, but um, 
that's something that I've, I've only ever tried a couple of times. And I think it's a good idea, but I, it's just not part of my, the way I do step 10. I have a, a, a few OA contacts that I run things by if I'm unsure about what's going on and, and when I need to sort it out. And to me, that's like a continuous step 10 that's become part of my, the way I live my life. And my sponsor is part of that process. Uh, whether I email her or talk to her on the phone, she's really good at, at giving perspective on, on my reactions to things that are going on in my life. Um, and anytime I've been in a step group, that's another way that uh, I've got perspective on how to deal with what's going on. Um, one of the things that was introduced early to me, too, was the notion of uh, making a gratitude list. And that's something that I do frequently. And I, I don't necessarily have to write it down, but on a day when maybe I'm having a hard time being positive, I'm feeling a bit disgruntled or lethargic or down. Uh, I do make a gratitude list. It comes to me that that would be a smart thing to do, and, and it always makes me feel better, and that, that helps me uh, with my step 10. I'm just keep trying to keep to my notes here so I don't miss stuff that I wanted to say. Um, yeah, the outside help that I've got over the years, too, has felt like a step 10 to me where um, I'm processing things that need to be processed so that I can let them go. That's been very, very helpful to me. Now I do step 10 more with my higher power. I talk all day long to my higher power and ask for guidance and strength and I find it very comforting to have that ongoing dialogue with whatever that power is that's greater than me. Step 11 was very much acting as if for many years and acting as if was enough to keep me abstinent for a very long time. There's something about that process of praying, even when I didn't know what I was praying to. I wanted to have something to pray to. I wanted to believe that that something would help me. So I prayed because I knew that it was supposed to work. And I believed the people that taught me to do that, and I did it. And I did get relief from praying. I had a hard time sitting still and meditating. I would often feel restless because I didn't, I didn't feel the point of it. I didn't, it, yeah, I just didn't get it. And it, didn't, it wasn't doing anything for me, so I, I, I didn't sit still long enough to meditate. Uh, but now I look forward to sitting down in that quiet space, talking to my higher power, 
praying, uh, just slowing my life down, and it changes me. I feel different when I'm finished. I feel calm and that I can tackle what's ever going on in my day. It, it, it's transformative. The serenity prayer was my go-to prayer forever. I said it in the car before I went in to buy groceries. I would say it before I would go into a meeting. I would say it before I went into a social situation. I would say the serenity prayer in the bathroom, in everywhere. It was my, when I didn't know what to do, when I was feeling anxiety, I would say the serenity prayer and it would help. And I didn't know why it helped, but it did. So I kept doing it. So I guess that's a form of faith, even though I, um, I had no image of who it was I was talking to. Uh, early in recovery, wanting to be the good OA person, I, I knew that I needed to get a higher power. And I was seeing a therapist who was a, a, a Catholic nun, Sister Shirley. So I went to Sister Shirley and I said, Sister Shirley, I need a higher power. They tell me I've got to have a higher power. I don't know how to get one. And she smiled and she said, don't worry about it. It'll come. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I thought, okay, if Sister Shirley says I can do that, then it's got to be okay. And it gave me hope. And it also encouraged me to just keep acting as if. And, uh, yeah, the fact that I was even willing to go to a Catholic nun for, for therapy was kind of remarkable in itself. But uh, my first sponsor was a very devout Catholic. And I think that was a higher power thing because I was so anti-religion. And she was just the sweetest, most accepting person. And I had a zillion questions for her. And she rolled with the punches. She did not flinch when I oda, when I, you know, would say probably what were horribly offensive things to anybody who was Catholic. But she just kept hanging in there with me. And I phoned her every night for five years and we'd talk program. She was incredible. And because of who she was, that helped me to drop some of those resentments that I had towards what I thought religious people were like. And it cracked open that door enough to allow space for me to think that maybe there was a way that I could have a spiritual connection. And yeah, to me that she was phenomenal. Edna was her name. So I acted as if for years and it was good enough until it wasn't good enough. Until I realized that, yeah, I had to go deeper here. There was, there was, there was more to be learned. And it, I guess it took gaining, gaining the weight back to, to make me surrender more and be open to whatever was going to be the next, the next revelation about my spiritual life 
with this, the, the new sponsor that I had, not only did we do a lot of reading and, and talking and looking at women's spirituality and, and what other women used as a route to their higher power, uh, she drew to my attention so many things that were happening in my life that I couldn't explain, like abstinence. I know that feeling of abstinence, that freedom from the obsession, the ability to follow a food plan, the ability to do life in between meals without even thinking about food. That was not my doing. That was something greater than me. And by being aware of those things that were working, that were not by my willpower alone, that grew my, my sense of what my higher power was. Brings me a lot of peace. It brings me courage to take on what's, what might be scaring me or confusing me. It helps me sort it out. Um, I want to be connected to a higher power. I wanted it. I was willing to see what I needed to see. I had an experience with my mom last year. My mom died, and I was with her when she died. I was with my dad when he died two, four years ago. And that seeing their bodies after they died and seeing that whatever the thing was that was inside them that made them who they were, that that was gone, it was very clear that that body was not my mom, that body was not my dad, the, the spirit that was them was gone. To me, that gave me a concept of that there are there is spirit that is there. If it's not in someone's body, it's there. And I, I, I'm choosing to believe that. And I felt it in those moments when, when they died. And that has really, I think, solidified my belief in a, a spiritual world that's there to support me. And I'm going to keep for today anyway. Who knows how I'll feel 10, 10 weeks from now, but um, it's working for me. It, it feels real. It feels like I'm getting guidance, and I'm going to hang on to that. I have always worked with, with people in program. I've done service in many different ways. Not so much now, um, but I do service. And I, I know that this is a program of a WE program. I can't do it by myself. Time. Is it time? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a spiritual program. And my, my thought that I would leave with you is that keep praying, even if you don't know what you're praying to. Just keep doing it. Thanks.
Thank you, Maureen. Uh, now over to Megan. Hi, friends. Um, thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Denise. And uh, thank you so much just to the OA Rise community for putting this on. Um, and all of you, thank you for coming. Like, it's just been so neat to see this number of participants just hold steady. Like, just look at all of these people that are here on a Sunday for recovery. Like, that's incredible. We're all just here with this common purpose. Um, Megan, compulsive reader, food addict, and uh, help others. You know, there was one thing in the clean house that I did want to say that's a metaphor that came to me one day that I just want to share, which is uh, I'm the one who, like, takes all of the refuse and, like, puts it in the dump truck. You know, I'm the one who piles it into the garbage truck. But, like, God's the one who, like, drives it to the dump. You know, like, God's the one who does... Like, so if you need a new uh, image of a higher power, God, the dump truck driver is yours for the taking. <laughs> um, yeah. Grief here. Um, help others. So... If I were to lump the help others part of the spiritual awakening into before, now, and moving forward, you know, building off of just what I had shared about a little earlier of like, I, my job was just to, to get, get really famous, get really good at my career, have all of the success, and then. Maybe it can be nice sometimes if it's a benefit to me, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's amazing. Sorry, the dog really wants me to play Psycho. So we'll play after. Uh, fun. Actually, this is actually funny that this does tie into, um, into my share because what I've learned is I've learned how to develop my own needs is that when I'm around animals or other people who are not necessarily able to identify their needs is I attuned to the needs of those around me more. And so, um, you know, being around these animals, uh, I can hear the difference between their barks now, which I never ever even considered was a thing, you know, like, like animals have needs? Mm, no, I have work to do. And if they disrupt me, they are annoying. That, that was, that was the lesson. But now it's like, as I begin to attune to others needs, including the animals around me, it's like, I can figure those out. But then I can also register with my own self. What's my need? What's my priority? It's doing this. You know, and so if I'm here for now, I could set that boundary now with you here in front of my magic computer box. And then these, these guys, like I'm teaching them that like, I will take them for a walk. Like we will. So as I, I don't have to like instantly react so much anymore. Um, 
That's funny. That's funny. Oh God, God, you silly goose. This all ties in together because one of the, yeah, this literally, as I had written down, is that what I've learned in recovery is I can't give what I haven't got. Like before I was just this bleeding heart that was just all around trying to give, but also, but also having nothing to give and therefore just like knowing that. And so needing to take, and it was just this weird, toxic, reciprocal relationship, parasitical relationship, I should say, that was really modeled after what my mother and father had taught me in their own ways, particularly around my mother. I recently did a step four where I just saw with such clarity how I had attracted mom patterns and, um, and I've done some really deep healing with my outside help. Um, and through program through, you know, the, through, uh, just changing patterns as a result of my recovery where I just don't attract those relationships anymore. Um, and I understand this is the food program. This isn't my relationship program, but, uh, the way that that ties in with my food is that really I have way less to eat over, <laughs> way less to eat over now. And within that, in terms of how that deals with helping others, is that like, as I clear the slate and I feel less and less needy of needing things from others, I just have more to offer. Like, I just do. Uh, I don't need to... Um, don't need to get so much anymore. And, and I think the thing is, and to those of you who are newer in recovery, or if you're hurting right now and you need to hear this, but what I just really like, one of the most shocking parts of my recovery is as it says in the big book is like, it just comes like it just comes. Like I don't have to do anything. I mean, I do stuff. Like I get my butt to meetings. I do service. I, you know, like I do what's in front of me. I answer the phone. Sometimes, sometimes I don't have it in me. Sometimes it's not the right thing to answer the phone. Sometimes the right thing is to keep meditating because it's the promise and a commitment that I made to myself or, you know, like whatever. It's like, it changes. It's, there is no one size fits all. There is no cookie cutter program. It just isn't. But like, as a result of these actions, this, this deep, like strength, like this grounded tethered channel of energy of force just comes through me. And like, just by the nature of me having done X amount of steps, have X amount of years in program, you know, gone to my meetings day in, day out, blah, 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 blah. When my sponsee calls me, you know, we, part of our agreement is we talk once a week. And so when my sponsee in this program calls me, um, I just say shit. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that I knew. Like, and of course the gift of this program and the gift of God's world, because what I'll say about this program is like spirituality or, or I should say program doesn't have, doesn't hold a corner of Denise, you said this to me, actually, it doesn't hold a corner of the market on, um, on spirituality and wisdom. Like program is not, you know, like it, it doesn't, 
uh, could, doesn't monopolize the, the spiritual market, but it is an excellent way of getting in contact with um, God's world and the way God would have the world run if humans didn't get in the fucking way. And so like the way that I see it is that like, when I use my program as a way to tether to God's world, it's like in God's world, synergy is a thing where like the sum is greater than the whole of all of the parts. And that's, that's what is meant as I understand it. When two or more are gathered in my midst, there I am like, when two or more are gathered, when all of us come together and are gathered here, something so much greater gets created. It just does. Like, that's the craziness of this wackadoodle universe that we live in is like, things are things, unless they're not. Like, it's kind of like the rules of the world that we live in. So, so like when I'm a sponsor talking to my sponsee, this is something I never, ever could have considered in early recovery ever, you know, as the sponsee who was calling my sponsor once a week, like wailing and moaning and, and just whinging on and on and on and on is that like, I'm actually doing a really important service as a newcomer calling because what I've realized as a sponsor is that when I pick up my sponsee's phone call, it is a beautiful reprieve from my own insane thinking. You know, like I suddenly, it's like, I've had times, I prompt, my sponsee isn't on this call, but she knows this. I've had times where I've been like on my knees, just like a hot mess, like a real hot mess. Just like, ah, like about to lose my abstinence. And my sponsee will call and suddenly I'm just like, hey, what's going? You know, and it's just like, it's not false. It's real. It's just like, it's real because I have a job as a sponsor like there is a sacred contract of a sponsor sponsee where like, you know, the same way that my sponsor, I needed her to be sane in that moment because I, I was like, just falling over the cliff. And so I get to be that when I get to channel sanity, that is not my own crazy thinking. And I get to be sane in that moment and channel things. It's like, I get to tap into this deeper part of me. You know, and the way that I see it is um, healing from trauma. Again, personal opinion, addiction stems from trauma, is that, like, I, I still have a brain that's prone to being an addict for sure, but it's like, um, anyway, but basically, like, the way that I see it is that when I'm traumatized, I'm locked into a part of my brain. And when I'm traumatized, I'm in my disease. And I'm, like, real messed up. And I'm, like, back here in my brain, in my um, amygdala. And I am stuck. Like, I am stuck there. And what I need is a higher power to bring me here to the frontal cortex, which is the evolved part of the brain where I can have compassion and I can have serenity and I can view things with perspective and like be an adult, you know, but when I'm back here, I'm a lizard and I'm stuck. And it's like, I need something to like pull me from here to here. Like the way that I see it in recovery is it's not so much that the outside world changes or that things change. It's just that I start visiting different parts of my brain that I didn't even know existed, which is very Matrix, I know, which I recently rewatched with the understanding that I have now. And I was like, what? They knew the whole time. <laughs> so, hard recommend watching The Matrix um, if you, uh, with, a, with a God view. But anyway, uh, so, wow, I'm way more hyper than I expected to um, be today. But, oh, well, that's what we're getting. 
So let's see. How much time do I have left, Janice? Two minutes? 20 seconds. Oh, boy. Okay. I'll just finish with this then. Two things that come to mind. Don't quit before the miracle happens. You know, I got this tattoo. It says expect miracles because of recovery, um, which I know is a very white girl thing. I also got it when I went to a music festival for the first to Coachella because Coachella is my happy place. But that was a very recovery thing because I never let myself just be a white girl who likes EDM until I got into recovery because I was like, that's just a thing that I like. Um, and the second is, yeah, got it. And the second is just suit up and show up and that's it. It's progress, not perfection. All you need to do is just do the next right thing. And the thing, it just happens. So thank you all for being here. Thank you all for my recovery. I was saying to the ladies, I would have binged my face off today if I didn't have a program. And I probably would have, I probably wouldn't have binged my face off, but it would have been a real hard white knuckle day. And I would have had a real shitty food day if this wasn't here because of all of the feelings I'm feeling. So I'm just so grateful because there is like, there is 10,000 times less shame and guilt and fear that I will be feeling tomorrow as a result of all of you being here. But if you were not here, I would not be here and, uh, and abstinence would not be had. So thank you. Hope that'll pass. Thank you, Megan. And thank you, Maureen. And I see that I see that we have a little less time than I expected. So, Janice, could you please give me seven minutes? Lucky seven, and uh, let me know when that's up. Okay. I'm a compulsive eater. My name's Janice. I'm a very grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I'm a very squeaky chair. <laughs> and um, gosh, it's been uh, it's been a ride. It's been a ride for me emotionally today, uh, sharing, but also witnessing the other sharing. And uh, yeah, help others. So step 10 is about taking personal inventory and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us carried out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to practice these principles in all our affairs and carry the message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. When I got to program, I was so far away from any of those. And now, now that's what structures my life. I. I started a few years ago keeping track of some things because I'd learned from doing a step four through nine experience that taking regular inventory is something I need to do for the rest of my life if I want to continue to grow. And uh, one of those lines from the big book is, you know, we can't afford to rest on our laurels. I've heard it also said that you can't coast uphill. You know, you only coast downhill. I don't want to go downhill. I really, uh, I cherish the life that I have. Mind you, my head doesn't always say that, right? So here's some of the things that I do. I have a uh, gratitude practice that came out uh, a couple of years ago in doing the, the steps again. And I, 
I've noticed this before, but it became a little more clear this time around that I'm very quick to point out all the ways I'm doing life and recovery wrong. And uh, I don't give quite enough credit to the spiritual awakening that's happening in my life, all the beauty in my life, all the love and, and support I receive, and all the accomplishments, all the ways in which I'm able to be of service in program and out. So doing a nightly gratitude list became part of my spiritual practice. And I chose for whatever reason. I was like, oh, I'm going to lift 12 things. And there's I, like six out of seven, maybe more like 13 out of 14 days, I am writing those 12 things. There's days when I don't feel like writing anything. And, oh, and I write it. I should say this. And then I share it with my sponsor. Take a picture of it, share it to my sponsor with my sponsor. And there was another piece <laughs> that I didn't like, but that was suggested to me that I do. And that is, if I could, three days, three, sorry, three, each day, find three things in that list that I'm grateful for, that are evidence of my recovery. So I was really brought up in a home where you were not supposed to brag or be vain, uh, that acknowledgement of your strengths showed uh, that you were selfish and egotistical. But one of the ways that I have had to be reset and restored to sanity is I've needed to learn what's described, again, in literature as a true humility. So that, that true humility is uh, knowing my strengths as well as my weaknesses. Uh, so some days that's, that's one of the hard things for me to do. So although it's a gratitude list, there's an element of inventory around it. Because what I do is I reflect, so how did I act in a place of, from a place of recovery today? You know, um, and especially for me, was I, did I practice serenity, courage, willingness, right? Any of those spiritual principles. Uh, when it comes to prayer and meditation, uh, yeah, I'm a bathroom prayer. I'm a prayer while driving. I quite often pray while driving. So, and uh, <laughs> not necessarily about my driving. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty okay driver, but it's about because it's an interstitial space. It's this window between I'm leaving work and now I'm going to go meet my friends or go home or do this or do that or exercise. And I need help to like slow down, return to the present. Um, when I got to program, I did not want to be me. I did not want to be here. I didn't want reality to be what it was. And uh, I wanted to be someone else. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted anything but to be me. And uh, I quite like me today. I don't want to be anybody else. I have some pretty strong opinions about myself sometimes, but with others to share them with, they get tempered by some love and grace. One thing I will say about, probably almost out of time, um, about prayer and meditation is I, when I came in, prayer was the easier of the two, mostly because I like to talk, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and being quiet was very well, it wasn't just difficult. It felt 
painful because because when I at the beginning when I would stop and try to just be quiet and go within myself it was it was a disaster area right I hadn't done the cleaning of house it wasn't a nice place to be but I've done a lot of house cleaning since then emotional spiritual and uh I actually get restored to sanity when I stop and take quiet time. Another big piece, um, I was in a motorcycle accident. I had a brain injury. And I was unable, I didn't have any short-term memory. Like to the point where I'd have to go back, I couldn't work, I could barely function. I probably shouldn't have been living alone at the time. I'd have to go back into the bathroom and touch my toothbrush to see if had I just brushed my teeth or not, because I had I had no short term memory. I still have some memory issues, but for the most part. That time. Great. Thanks, Denise. But an amazing thing happened. Because I didn't have short term memory. For the first time, I could sit silently. Because I had lost all sense of time. So sometimes things that look really awful, and it was an awful experience, have a gift within them. Uh, have I talked really about uh, help others? I really feel like I need more just to say how much you've helped me. Today, every day. It really is a gift, this life. And uh, that's that's the spiritual awakening for me, that this morning I could feel that much hopelessness and fear and insecurity, and that by following through on my commitments to first meet with Megan and Maureen and then show up here and do whatever I could to share my experience, strength, and hope, has shifted me from the inside out. Uh, and what would I leave you with? Huh, what would I leave you with? Oh, I know, something my first sponsor gave me. If you're having a problem with a higher power, if you think you don't have one, it doesn't exist, um, whatever. If I have something that you want, if you think I might have a higher power that's working for me, I can tell you it is, but you might not think that. But I, <laughs> I have a higher power that really works in my life. And if you think uh, it's working for me, you are more than welcome to borrow my higher power anytime. Higher power has time and space and love for all of us. Uh, And I don't think there was anything else I wanted to say. So that's it for my sharing. Thank you so much for my recovery and, and for your kind attention. Oh, you need to be unmuted. Gotcha. Ask to unmute. Are you good? <laughs> yeah, I, I transferred the host to uh, one of our other members, and I was like, what's going on? Okay, there we go. Thank you. My gosh. Thank you, Denise, uh, Maureen, and Megan. You guys rock. So glad that you could be here with us today, and uh, we really appreciate you sharing your experience. Open strength with us, and uh, together we get better, right? 
So uh, thank you so much for coming. The opinions expressed here today, and thank you to everybody for coming. Uh, opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. Second goal is to support the World Service Office. Uh, we'll post the seventh tradition once again, information uh, one more time in the chat. Please give as you are able so that we can keep uh, OA Rise going. Uh, lastly, OA Rise is always looking for members to do service. Once again, if you don't want to see my mug all the time, that's what you my mug. Uh, please volunteer. We'd love to have more people leading. Uh, we are looking for members to be speakers or perhaps provide speaker suggestions as well as members who'd be interested in joining our committee. We also need volunteers who would occasionally be available to help us with Zoom during the meeting. Uh, so it isn't something you have to commit to every single, like twice a month, but even now and then would be incredibly helpful. Um, if you're willing to be of service, please send a message to any one of our co-hosts, or you can go to oarise.org, and there actually is a volunteer, you can volunteer with us, but there is actually a tab you can click on and send us your information. Uh, again, thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the chat for just a short period of time, uh, and you can unmute yourself and connect with others if you like. Please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope at our next speaker meeting, which I apologize, I did not look up the date, is the 15th of August. Um, and I also apologize, I completely forgot to look up the topic, but I know it's going to be brilliant. So if you go to oarise.org <laughs> to volunteer, you can also see what the topic is. <laughs> Say we ought never be organized, right? Thanks, everybody, for your patience. Uh, after a moment of silence, we're going to close with the long version of the Serenity Prayer. Uh, and I wonder if, Connie, do you have that handy? And if you don't, I can pull it up really quick. Oh, and I just looked up the topic for August 15th. Oh, thank you. The prize of the program. The prize. The prize of the program. Thank you. And as I said earlier, it's the prize of the program. <laughs> Thank you, Denise. Uh, okay, here we go with the long version of the Serenity Prayer. Um, I will speak it out loud and invite those of you who wish to please join me uh, silently. Okay, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Grant me patience with the changes that take time and appreciation for all that I have. Tolerance of those with different struggles and the strength to get up try again one day at a time. Keep coming back, everybody. It works. Thank you so much for everyone coming. Thank you to our speakers and thanks to all our members for coming.